What's up, what's up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 158 of the podcast, and in this episode, I share my May and June 2020 writing stats. I also share a writing tip that I picked up along the way, and I tell you about what I've been reading as well as the master classes that I've been taking. Finally, I read and reflect on a couple of my free writing pieces, which can be found as always at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. Or you know what? Just go to spuntoday.com, S-P-U-N today.com. And right there on the homepage, you'll see a big button that says free writing. Click that and it'll take you to the same location. But before we jump into the episode, I want to tell you guys about two quick ways that you can help support the show. The first one is by purchasing some merch. I have a dope new t-shirt design that I'm happy with, I'm proud of, dedicated to my fellow cyclists out there. Shout out to Brendan Schaub and the Thick Boy Bike Club. This one says, spun today across the chest, and the T in today is the silhouette of a bicycle that's facing you. So picture the handlebars of the bicycle acting as the cross of the T, and then the wheels or the front wheel, front tire, rather, as the stem of the T. Then you see like the pedals poking out from the sides. It's pretty dope. I think you guys will enjoy it. Check it out. It's available now in my Viral Style store. Say that three times fast. Viral Style store. Viral Style store. Viral Style store. (laughs) The links of which, as always, are found in the episode notes. And the second way that you can help support the show is by signing up to my free once per week sponsored a newsletter. Here's a little bit about that. You know that feeling that you get on a Monday when you're sad because the weekend is over and you have nothing to look forward to except for lunch? Have no fear. The Midday Monday Boost Letter is here. And you might be thinking, what is the Midday Monday Boost Letter? Sounds like a mouthful, and it is, but it's also more than that. I put together this absolutely free newsletter that I email to all my subscribers every Monday at noon to spread a little joy and happiness. If you choose to subscribe, all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. And what you'll get is five things. You'll get a photo of the week, which who doesn't like looking at dope pictures? You'll also get a podcast of the week. I listen to dozens and dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide variety of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and share them with you as my recommendation for that week. Also in the Midday Monday Boost Letter, you will find a video of the week, which could be anything from a cool online recipe that I found to a rap battle to a TED Talk or a dope interview. I also share a quote of the week, a little food for thought, as well as a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there. Again, this is all absolutely free, and you can get my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you will get the very next one. Alrighty, folks, let's kick it off with some writing stats. In May of 2020, I wrote 18 out of the 31 days of the month, 
which yields a writing percentage of 58.1%. In June of 2020, I wrote 17 out of the 30 days of the month, which yields a writing percentage of 56.7%. Those percentages could obviously be higher. My ideal would be 100% in a perfect world, right? But alas, life happens to the best of us. But they're way better than a few of the earlier months this year where I had dismally low writing stats. Hashtag no excuses. Hashtag silver lining of the quarantine. Hashtag stop saying hashtag. Alrighty. Moving right along. The writing tip that I'm going to share with you fine folks in this week's episode comes from a writing tip favorite of mine. I have referenced her for tips several times in the past and have done so because she drops so many gems. What can I do? She is an award-winning author, internationally published, and a mentor to fellow writers. Very special shout out to K.M. Wyland. And this week's tip is coming from her website, which is helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And this is actually a guest post by Peter Von Stackelberg, which is a writer, photographer, illustrator, transmedia storyteller, and university lecturer. It was posted on July 13th, 2020, and the title of the post is An Intuitive Four-Step Process for Creating Vibrant Scene Structure. As always, there will, will be a direct link in the episode notes. And I really do recommend that you all check out the link because... There are two diagrams that really drove home the sentiment behind narrative arcs versus character arcs. And I'm more of a visual person when it comes to certain things, which is why I'm recommending that you guys check out the link and uh, take a look at these diagrams yourselves. So before I get to the four-step process for creating vibrant scene structure... I want to read a couple of excerpts from around these diagrams, which is within the first uh, couple paragraphs of this post. And I'm reading from the section narrative arcs versus character arcs. And he states, when writing scenes, understanding a narrative arc versus character arc is important. They are not the same thing. The narrative arc, a term I prefer over quote unquote story arc, emerges from a series of events that occur over the course of a story, or in our case, a scene. A character arc, on the other hand, is the story of changes that occur in a character over the course of the story or scene. The best stories have both arcs. So reiterating that piece in my own words, a narrative arc or story arc are the series of events that occur over the course of a story. And a character arc are the changes that occur in a character within that story. And then you have the first diagram, which is illustrating that, which I just read. But in a way that makes you say, well, it made me say, oh, now I get it. All right, so let's pick up where I left off. So he said, the best stories have both arcs. Then he continues, scenes should also have both arcs. The narrative arc, scene events aka actions, and the character arcs, goals, dilemmas, actions, reactions, and decisions. 
the interplay of these elements across the two arcs drives the narrative, whether it's a scene, sequence, act, or an entire story. Then he goes on to illustrate that in diagram form. Then he closes off this section by stating the following. I found that building a scene often involves identifying the main character's scene goal and then setting up the narrative arc, basically writing, quote, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, end quote, until I reached the end of the arc. The main character's arc across the scene can then be developed by elaborating on the scene events. For example, quote, this happened, causing the character to do, then this happened, and the character did, then this happened, creating a dilemma for the character, who then did, causing this to happen, and creating a new goal, end quote. I feel like in those few paragraphs, he distilled the concept so much that even a dummy like me was able to completely follow along and actually get it. All right, so now let's move on to the actual four steps for creating vibrant scene structure. Step number one is establish. Step number two is initiate. Step number three is peak. And step number four is release. Let's uh, expound a bit on uh, the first step, which is establish. And he writes, the first element in a scene introduces key aspects of the scene's setting, characters, and significant objects. Its purpose is to introduce readers to the scene and help them understand the who, where, and when before the action begins. In visual terms, this could be considered an establishing shot that shows the environment and the character's place in it. In text-based stories, this element is often called the setup. For example, a description of the bar, its clientele, the time of day, some reference to the key character, although the primary focus is on the environment. And that is his breakdown of the first step in the process for creating vibrant scene structure. And I feel like the example that he gives, which he gives a a quote-unquote for example for each of the steps, following his description of what the step actually is, is a good practical application of the actual idea or convention. And for me, it helps crystallize a way for me to apply it to my own writing. So let me just reread the for example again. As I do, think of it in terms of being applied to your own writing. So he goes, for example, you're writing a description of the bar, of its clientele, of the time of day. You have some sort of reference to that and some reference to the key character although you're keeping the primary focus on the actual environment. So again, in doing so, you are establishing the scene, the who, where, and when, before whatever is going to happen in that scene actually happens. Step number two is initiate. And he states, the second element is often a preparatory activity setting up action that will occur later in the scene. It ratchets up the dramatic tension and provides readers with information needed to understand what is about to happen. And here's the example that he gives for step number two. Our protagonist goes through the swinging doors, 
moseys up the bar and orders a drink, somehow offending another character in the process. The characters interact and words are exchanged. Tension rises. Step number three is peak. And he states, this is the climax of the scene where dramatic tension is highest. The peak is when the scene's pivotal action happens. For example, suddenly guns are pulled and blam, blam, blam. If I was writing this, I probably would have used blaka, blaka, blaka. <laughs> Let me stop. <laughs> All right, rewind. Uh, for example, suddenly guns are pulled and blam, blam, blam. The pivotal action happens. A brief dramatic pause leaves readers wondering who caught the bullet. So you see what he's doing there? He's connecting that second step or element with the third step or element. So the guy, you know, is going to the bar, goes up the stairs, goes to the swinging doors. You know, just by using like that type of terminology and words, you're like picturing like swinging saloon doors, at least I did. And, you know, going into a bar and, and somehow the character ordering the drink offends another character. So I'm picturing like a crowded place, maybe bumped into him inadvertently or something like that. And then he connects that initiate example with the peak example. You know, words are exchanged, tensions rise, guns are drawn, and shots are fired. So in retrospect, that is what was going to happen in this scene. Somebody was going to get shot. Hence, we are at the peak of the scene. The pivotal action that was supposed to happen, happened. Which leads us to the fourth and final step, which is called release. And he states, the final element is the release, which wraps up the scene and shows the aftermath of the pivotal action. At this point, the dramatic tension is released and the scene ends. For example, the bad guy slumps to the floor in a pool of blood and the scene closes. And that, folks, wraps up the Spun Today writing tip of the week. As stated earlier, it is from the Helping Writers Become Authors website, a guest post for K.M. Wyland from Peter Von Stackelberg entitled An Intuitive Four-Step Process for Creating Vibrant Scene Structure. And it's linked to in the episode notes. Check it out. So I'm not through with this book yet that I'm currently reading. And I normally wait till I'm completely finished to do my little recap and uh, tell you guys uh, about what I've been reading. But I wanted to give you guys a little sneak peek. So I've been reading Talking to Strangers, which is Malcolm Gladwell's latest book. Malcolm Gladwell, for those of you that don't know, is the host of the Revisionist History podcast. He is a multiple-time New York Times bestselling author. He wrote books like Outliers, which I believe I covered here on this podcast, David and Goliath, uh, the book Blink, which is actually the first book of his that I ever read, which I believe my brother put me onto years ago. And this is his latest work, Talking to Strangers. And I'm still not done with the book, so I'm still like processing and synthesizing the higher level purpose of it, which I believe has to do with what Gladwell argues as, quote, something is very wrong with the tools and strategies we use to make sense of the people we don't know. And because we don't know how to talk to strangers, 
we are inviting conflict and misunderstanding in ways that have a profound effect on our lives and our world. End quote. And he tries to drive that, I guess, thesis home by telling us about these really interesting stories that are rooted in miscommunication. He opens up with the sad story of Sandra Bland, which is the story of a 28-year-old black woman that was pulling out of a university, I believe, on an interview that she was on, a job interview that she was on, and is pulled over by a white police officer. This happened in Texas. He pulls her over, stating that she did not signal when she changed lanes. Off the bat, the way that they are communicating with each other seems confrontational. And there's both the dash cam footage of the complete event as well as Sandra Bland's, Bland's uh, cell phone footage of this uh, complete event, which took place in July of 2015. So off rip, it's confrontational, which ties into larger discussions you know, happening now around the need for additional training for police officers specific to like de-escalation training. This incident, this altercation, this event is a perfect use case to prove the need for that. So he goes on to what from my perspective seemed like an unnecessary kind of like egging her on or like poking at her saying things like, why do you sound so irritated? And she responds to him saying, you know, you sped up behind me as soon as I pulled out of the, the university. So I pulled over to the right to let you pass because I thought that's what you wanted. And you pulled me over for not signaling. So yes, I'm a little irritated. And then he just responds, are you done? And she responds, you asked me why I sound irritated and I answered. So now, yes, I'm done. So it's this type of attitude that just continues to like ratchet up on both sides. Then, and the onus, by the way, just to be clear, to not allow it to ratchet up and to de-escalate the situation is on the police officer. That's what I would expect should be the result of good training, proper training, the type of training that would also weed out the type of person from this position, from this job, from this function of being a, a police officer to protect and that is there to protect and serve, the type of training that would weed out the type of person that would go on the power trip that this officer clearly went on when he allowed his ego to get tied into this situation. Sandra Bland was smoking a cigarette in her car while she was waiting to get the ticket that she clearly felt was unwarranted because she was pulling over because the police officer allegedly rolled rolled up you know, quickly behind her, so that's why she pulled over in the first place. But she's smoking a cigarette in her car, and the officer, while he's giving her the ticket, he's asking her, he asked her, can you put put away your cigarette, if you don't mind? And she replied with, no, this is my car, my property, you know, I can smoke in it. Why am I, why should I put on my cigarette? Where he then instructed her to get out of the car. And she's like, why? Like, you're giving me a ticket for not signaling. Why, why are you asking me to get out the car? He proceeds to open her door, which I don't believe is proper protocol. He's yelling at her to get out the car. She's saying, why am I being detained? if you give me a ticket for not signaling and he continues just to double down, triple down, quadruple down, get out the car, get out the car, yelling at her, pulls out a taser, points it at her. She complies. She gets out the car, but she's like, what the fuck? Long story short, she gets arrested three days later, still in jail. She's found hung in the jail again, three days later for a 
quote-unquote routine traffic stop, and they find that she committed suicide three days later. Now, the police officer in this case stated that he was in fear for his life, which is why he arrested her, I believe claiming that he thought that she had a weapon or something like that, although that tidbit I'm not completely clear on, but he did say that he was in, in fear for his life, for his safety. But with the, when her cell phone video footage came out, it clearly re- uh, recorded him stating, you know, put away your phone, put away your cell phone. And that was used to refute his initial claim that he was uh, in fear for her safety. Also, from seeing the footage from a body language perspective, from the perspective of what was said by both the police officer and Sandra Bland, she wasn't threatening in any way. At most, she was asking questions and which were related to, you know, why the fuck are you taking me out of my car? The police officer in this case was actually indicted in 2016 for falsely claiming that he was in fear for her safety. But then in 2017, a year after that, the charges were dismissed in exchange for him agreeing to never work in law enforcement again. So Gladwell, you know, depicts the nuances of this story and really puts a magnifying glass on how these two strangers are speaking to each other and where exactly things went wrong and how they could have been avoided. And he does this with a ton of other interesting stories, like with one of the most interesting stories that he went into, which is of a CIA agent, which was actually a double agent for many, 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 many years, rising the ranks of the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, while being an agent for Fidel Castro from Cuba. And it's a fascinating story. I actually heard it before on his podcast, uh, Re- Revisionist History uh, podcast, but it's it's part of this book as well. And it's not like some conspiracy theory type shit. It's factual, actual events, you know, like egg on the face, black eye, stain on the reputation of the CIA historically. And several agents that worked with her were interviewed, including the one that ultimately discovered that she was a double agent. It's just wild shit. There's stories about Neville Chamberlain and him trusting Adolf Hitler and how that helped facilitate Hitler's eventual rise to power. There's stories about Bernie Madoff, the financial investor and Ponzi scheme guy, the poet Sylvia Plath. He does a really interesting breakdown of the show of an episode or a scene of an episode of the show Friends, the sitcom, and he does this interesting breakdown with a psychologist of, I believe it was a psychologist, some ist, that breaks down how really good actors can match up what they're saying with their facial expressions. And if you happen to see this particular scene of this show and mute the TV, you can pretty much follow along with the plot based on those facial expressions. And he interviews scientists and and criminologists and psychologists and military psychologists and it's a dope read so far, and I'll, I'll definitely circle back to tell you guys more about it once I complete it. Again, that's Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. So I told you guys last time that I've been taking some master classes. Check out the last free writing session episode number 153, where 153, that was uh, before my voice cracked. Um, and I told you guys... 
or I gave you guys a uh, more of a deep dive of what master classes are and the ones that I had taken to that point, like Margaret Atwood's and Neil Gaiman's. And I believe I told you guys about Dan Brown's and I shared some gems that I got from them. So check that episode out because there's a, a ton of good stuff in there. I'm going to pick up where I left off and tell you guys about the next uh, masterclass that I took, which was David Baldacci's. Now there's masterclasses available for all types of like fascinating things. And since I have that, like all you can watch for a year uh, pass or subscription rather, I'm taking in all I can from different writers, even if it's writers that I hadn't heard of before, or writers that I haven't read any of their stuff before, or even writers that write in different genres than I do, or even screenwriters, for example, that write for TV and film, because I just want to take in as much as I can from the, just the process and advice, and I feel that on some level, a writer is a writer is a writer, and a lot can transfer over. So David Baldacci is... He's a novelist that writes thrillers, uh, crime thrillers, if I'm not mistaken. And I really like his story. He is an attorney by trade. He was a practicing attorney for many years. And he starts off his class by saying that you have to be, especially in the beginning, creative with not just within your writing, but with finding the time to actually write. So, you know, he's an attorney, he has a family, you know, he's married, has children. And he said that his way to do it, the way that worked for him was after everyone's in bed, seven days a week, he would go down to the basement, I believe, uh, which is where he did his writing. And from uh, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., he would write every day, seven days a week without fail. And he did this for several years. His first novel, Absolute Power, was published in 1996 and later became a feature film which Clint Eastwood directed and starred in. And since he has published 41 novels, all of them have been national and international bestsellers. Several have been adapted for a film or for television. And his novels are published in over 45 different languages in more than 80 different countries. He has sold in aggregate over 150 million copies of his books. I don't know this guy. Like I said, I hadn't and still haven't read any of his work, but that story, that like origin story just of him is inspiring as fuck. Like I read something like that. I hear something like that. And I don't know, call me idealistic, but it plants the seeds of possibility in my mind. And it makes me feel better, honestly, about, you know, me spending my either early mornings or late nights writing or and or recording this podcast for example right now it's 11 50 p.m almost midnight and i'm in the middle of recording this episode but yeah that's a little background on him like i did last time and with all the master classes that i've taken to date um you know taking notes of things that resonate with me throughout the the like lecture uh portions of, uh, of the classes there are also like uh manuals for each class with you know writing assignments that you can do or not do as well as like recommendations of things to read that go along with the coursework so i wanted to share with you guys some of the notes that i took that really resonated and i feel are worth sharing the first one is don't look at the world as black and white 
That's what most people do. Instead, take in the ordinary and ask how you could make it a compelling scene. Another point is a good idea might be not so much as outlining everything A to Z, but to have bullet points at the chapter level indicating what you want to accomplish within that chapter. This is something that I definitely want to implement with my own writing because I've I've noticed with me, whenever I hit up against the wall, whenever I have some writer's block, it's usually because, you know, I'm writing in the style that I normally write where I'm like a vessel for the characters and allowing the characters to continue in their dialogue and conversation and see where that drives the story. But I also have an abstract concept of the direction that I want the story to go in. And as those of you that also write know, sometimes like the idea that you have is, you know, taken in a completely different direction by your characters or vice versa. You have to pull your characters back into a idea that you feel strongly about that you want them to continue on the path towards. And there's like an interesting balance there that we weave in and out from. But this idea of having chapter level bullet points I feel would be very helpful for those moments where the characters are kind of like just like roaming around aimlessly within a scene. I think that's really helpful. Another point is put time and effort into your secondary characters. And he goes on to state that, and this is paraphrased because again, it's according to my notes. If you have an ensemble cast, you don't want them to become one dimensional. You want your reader to care about them and to remember them. So if they are characters that are important to your story, they're part of, again, like an ensemble cast, then invest time into them. Don't let them become one-dimensional because you're just focusing on the main protagonist the entire time and making that like a very layered and nuanced character. And then everybody else is just there to sort of kind of serve the purpose of supporting the protagonist, but they don't have like anything going on in and of themselves. Another point is... From him referencing the book, Save the Cat, it's become like a a phrase uh, that was coined by Blake Snyder, and it's an actual reference to the Alien movie. But the concept is that if you want to gain empathy for your character, according to this principle, if you show a character doing something nice, no matter how trivial, you can win instant sympathy and empathy for that character. So I thought that was interesting. Another point is... When writing dialogue, set a goal for the scene. Will the dialogue either deepen the character or convey information or further the plot? And I think that's really important to keep in mind to stay away from the pitfalls of conversations that happen just for the sake of conversations. I know that definitely happens to me within my writing a lot, especially since my writing is so dialogue heavy. So making sure I keep these three principles in mind will definitely help me fine-tune that issue. And those are the major gems that I wanted to share with you folks from the David Baldacci Masterclass. Currently, I'm in the middle of Aaron Sorkin's Masterclass, which is my one of my favorite screenplay writers and my absolute number one favorite writer of dialogue. So stay tuned for a future episode where I share the gems that I've gotten from his masterclass. Alrighty, so the first post out of the two that I'm going to share with you guys today 
was added to my website on July 20th, 2020. And I titled it Potentiality. And I wrote this about five years ago. And in reading it over, I definitely see that I was in my matrixy, we're living in a simulation type of bag. So <laughs> apologies in advance to anyone that is not into that type of stuff. Anyways, here's what I wrote. If everything exists in potentiality, then anything and everything is quite literally possible. There are no impenetrable barriers, no obstacles that can't be overcome. Better still, there are no obstacles. It's all window dress. Deterrence and distractions meant to knock you off your game. But why? What's the root cause of it? Why does there seem to be an incentive to stifle? Who or what doesn't accomplish when we do? Have they or it really achieved the method of being able to reach over and affect us? If so, how can we harness that ability and channel it towards turning potentiality into reality? We should come to the realization that we truly are our own worst enemy, and we do it to ourselves. We'll say we'd do anything for it, except this, this, and this. Come on, man. Be about it. Reach into potentiality and grab a slice of your realized vision. And I wrote that on Tuesday, August 25th, 2015 at 12 a.m. See, that's that, that's that uh, late night grind writing right there. So looking back on this, I guess I'm s- sort of playing around with this concept of different dimensions and the possibility of potentiality being its own dimension and existing in its own space, in its own reality, if you will. And I'm using the term potentiality in the context of anything that is potentially possible, like something that you want to achieve, for example. And it exists in this realm of potentiality. We just have to have the ability to reach into that realm, pull out what we want, and make it a reality. And we do so by working towards something, working at something. You know, hard work, dedication, perspiration, gumption, all that good stuff. But I'm also looking at it from the flip side of why is it so hard to achieve certain goals? Why is it so hard to go to the gym as much as we say we would like to? Why is it so hard to write 100% of the days? And I explored that in that line of what is the root cause of it all? Why does there seem to be an incentive to stifle? Like what force or what, you know, who or what is stifling our ability to pull every single thing that we want out of the realm of potentiality? And if something or someone is doing that, what's in it for them? Like, why are they doing that? Like, do they gain when we don't? Is it like a a zero-sum game? Like crabs in a bucket type of situation? And then when we gain, they don't? And hence the incentive to stifle? It's some weirdly interesting, heady shit going on there. I like the sentiment behind that last line of uh, reach into potentiality and grab a slice of your realized vision. But as I read it, I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't write it that way today. I don't think I would write something more along the lines of while still keeping, you know, the same sentiment, reach into potentiality and pull it into today's reality. 
so that tomorrow you can look at yesterday as a dream come true. And then I dropped the mic. Now let me stop. <laughs> Alrighty, that is that post. And the next one that I'm going to share with you, fine folks, was posted on my website on November 1st, 2015. By the way, I link to these specific posts within the episode notes, as always. So you don't have to go, you know, fishing around for them. But they are all found within the free writing section of my website, sponsorate.com forward slash free writing. This one is titled Unpacking Problems. And I wrote, I won't pretend to know how to solve problems that are so layered, rooted, and intertwined that sometimes the wrong answer is the right and vice versa. But not knowing the answer can't be an acceptable result. This is the point in time where even more attention to detail is needed, where a thorough breakdown of the issues are required. Put the foreseeable necessary band-aids in place and add a few more down the line as needed and begin to unravel the issues enough to compartmentalize them into dissectable and manageable sections. Now you have digestible issues, albeit many in quantity, that you can begin to work on. It's a starting point that, if executed discerningly, can lead to a systemic correction of the issues. When all is put back together, you should be in a better place than where you initially started from. But if not, rinse, wash, and repeat until you are. And I wrote that on Friday, October 30th, 2015, at 7.49 a.m., So looking back on this piece now, it seems like I was kind of writing this from a place of how to solve big problems, you know, like societal issues, for example. And maybe this type of approach could be applied to, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, maybe there's, you know, a shitload of holes in this type of, I'm sure, overly simplistic approach, but... Maybe it could be applied to issues of like racial inequities and COVID issues that we're seeing now, specifically to the idea of breaking an issue down into smaller digestible issues that can be worked on within a vacuum. But I understand that problems are not necessarily the sum of their parts. So if you break a problem down into you know 10 individual parts and you fix all those 10 individual parts when you put it back together you might still have a problem because the problem is not necessarily the sum of those 10 parts but i feel that even if that's the case you'll be in a better place than that big problem that you started with a certain percentage of it must still stay corrected and it's like from the uh, ground up correction so that's what i'm referring to as quote-unquote systemic correction Now, how plausible this is from like a macro scale like that, I don't know, folks. This is a free writing piece that I wrote at 7.49 in the morning five years ago, probably as a random thought before I was getting ready to go to work. But I definitely appreciate the sentiment. Also, reading this now, I'm kind of looking at it from the perspective of personal problems, more of a micro level. You know, what if you would apply this 
to an issue that you want to solve for yourself. This idea, this concept of breaking down problems into smaller digestible issues. For example, using myself, why don't you write 100% of the days? Are there days that you sit in front of the computer, say that you're going to go on Twitter for five minutes to decompress and you wind up being on for an hour or two and going down a YouTube wormhole because you followed one interesting link, which led to another, which made you read an article about a topic, which then made you Google something else. Then before you know it, you didn't write shit that day. That could be one component, one compartmentalized problem. So put a fix in place for that. Create a rule for yourself. When you sit down to write, you sit down to write. Internet is not allowed. From this time to this time, you're only allowed to write. No research, because that can often lead you into those same types of pitfalls that I just mentioned. No phone breaks. Nothing. From this time to this time, only writing. Even if nothing comes out and you're sitting in front of a blank screen for an hour. That's your writing time for the day. Easier said than done, right? Then I guess I would have to work on the willpower aspect of that to implement that. Because as I just laid it out, that would work, right? In theory, that theory checks out. It's logical. It works. You can follow that. The issue then becomes applying it, actually following it. What could be another reason for not writing 100% of the days? Maybe you have to look after your child during certain times and by the time you're done you're tired and don't feel like writing that again can be taken as a compartmentalized issue perhaps you can correct for that issue by establishing some sort of schedule with the spouse of swapping days and responsibilities to free up every other day for your writing while also freeing up every other day for his or her whatever they're into that'll just take you know some communication and coordination. So I definitely see some more promise and like application to this unpacking problems approach at a micro level versus a macro level. Although it would be interesting to see how it would play out or how it does play out at a more macro level. Oh, and that middle line there where where I say, you know, put the foreseeable necessary band-aids in place and add a few more down the line as needed and begin to unravel the issue enough to compartmentalize them into detectable and manageable sections. The part about the band-aids, I think it's important because it kind of creates uh, some runway. Like it gives you something to do within the issue while also plugging certain holes that could just become, could just exacerbate the problem. So you're stopping that before it actually happens. But I think it's important to not get caught up in just putting band-aids on issues because then I can see how that can become within certain issues, just the common practice and business as usual, just like putting band-aids on top of band-aids on top of band-aids. And then it just becomes like a mechanism of procrastination for yourself. And you dig yourself deeper into whatever that specific issue is. But yeah, that's all I got on this post folks. Again, it'll be linked to in the episode notes. You can check out these pieces as well as many others at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. That's the episode, folks. That's all I got for you for free writing session, episode number 158 of the Spun Today podcast. Thanks for making it to the end of the episode. If you did, I appreciate you. 
And if you didn't, then F you. Just kidding. You're cool people in my book, too. (laughs) All right. Stick around, listen to some tunes in the background, vibe out with me for a bit, and then listen to a few final ways that you can help support the Spun Today podcast. que fracasan mayormente es por desengaño falsedad que contamina y hace daño tú fuiste perfecto clavel que con mis manos marchité mi obra se llama Romeo sin Julieta otra vez puedes pensar soy el rey de las mentiras volvería a fallar aunque lo jure por mi vida mis palabras te importan y valen mi de rodilla nadena dice que ha visto muchas novelas y el actor de Otro disco con aventura y te lo dedico enterito. Hey folks, Tony here, and I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. If you'd like to support, I'd really appreciate it. And we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so. If you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that. There you'll find an Amazon banner similar to the other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra, and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Ko-fi pages. Patreon and Ko-fi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like, you can check out either one of those two services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra, but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today viral style store. This is where you can get Spun Today related merch. And you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh, writing related things on them that I put together myself. 
I'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I put together things that I wanted to see and, and uh, wear myself. A couple of my favorites are the one that says, writing is life. And another one that says, write need every day. And it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words. You'll also find a sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color changing mug that's related to my debut novel, Fractal. It's completely black and when it gets hot, when you put it in coffee or tea, it starts changing to white and it also exposes the cover art for my novel, Fractal. It's pretty dope. So definitely check all that stuff out, which again, you can find by going to sponsorday.com forward slash support. And of course, do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at Sponsorday on Twitter, at Sponsorday on Instagram. Subscribe to the Sponsorday YouTube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Also, don't forget to check out all the free shit that I have on my website as well. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. And there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and just some general food for thought. You can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish i set it up so that you can like copy and download the photos and my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories and last but certainly not least my pride and joy corner spuntoday.com forward slash books here you will find my published books which you find folks can find links to purchase them on Amazon, whether you want hard copies or digital uh, Kindle copies, that's the spot for you. Thank you very much for being a Spun Today listener. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.